we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. We're going to read aloud our text for this week. Uh, the larger text is Second Chronicles uh, 7, kind of go 11 through the end of the chapter, but we're going to read the specific uh, text here, starting in verse 12 through verse 16. This, then, is the text for today. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. So today is day 430 of this pandemic for us as a church. This is Sunday number 62 of this pandemic. And I want to take a moment to celebrate with you because next week is Pentecost Sunday. Next week, Sunday number 63, will be exactly one year since we came back to in-person worship. If you remember with us, we had virtual worship for a few months, and then on Pentecost 2020, we felt the Lord moving and the Lord calling us back to in-person worship. Now, we knew and understood this, this would be a time that we would need to gather around uh, in new ways that this was gonna be a time where we were going to have to have different kinds of entrances and exits, different kinds of protocols for being together, but we were able to do that, and we were able to put those in place, and the Lord honored that. And in fact, one of the things that we will be celebrating together next week, if the Lord wills, is that at, at one year, from Pentecost 2020 to Pentecost 2021, we will have been in-person worship for a year through the pandemic, and to our knowledge, there has not been a single case or spread because of our worship or through our worship. And you know, that is only because of the grace of God. That's not because we have been good. That's not because of any specific protocol that, we have been put, that has been put in place, but because the Lord God has taken care of us in this specific way. And so as we come together next week, we're going to celebrate with the Lord uh, Pentecost Sunday. We're going to celebrate with the Lord the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that, the church that he's called us to be and all of the ways that he has taken care of us in the last year. And so I hope you have seen, I hope you've heard, I hope you have known the Lord God has been good to us. And though we have had to work through many complications through covid the Lord has proven himself faithful over and over and over again. And so all we can do is look up and say, praise the Lord, that even in our follies and even in our feeble attempts to get this right, the Lord has honored it. 
And the Lord has shown us favor, and, and we're grateful. And so here we are, uh, Sunday number 62 of this pandemic, and surely we can stop keeping, keeping count soon. So we're well past a year now, and hopefully uh, we won't have to do this count uh, too much longer. Now, on to the sermon and on to our text for this week. Uh, let, let me start at Baylor, or rather, let me start at the, the summer between my senior year of high school and my freshman year at Baylor. Uh, between the two, you, you would go to Baylor for an orientation weekend. It's a time when you kind of get everything squared away. It's where you make sure you know where you're going, you, you meet some folks, you ask all the final questions you need to ask. It, it's a fantastic time. And in those days, it's hard not to imagine some pristine life ahead of you. That, that college is like this doorway to endless possibilities, and it's, it's so easy to be an optimist in those days. And you can't wait to find out what's next, what God's going to do. It's also hopeful, and not just for the students, but it's hopeful for the parents, too. There was a time in, in that weekend when I was at Baylor with my parents for orientation, that they called everybody together, and they, they were specifically going to speak to the parents. And, and they said very plainly and clearly, they said, parents, when your child comes to, to this university, please do not immediately turn your child's room into a library or a gym or whatever hobby you have right now. They said, just please, for the sake of your children, keep their room the same, at least for the first semester. So what would happen is students would go back home and they would find out that now their room had become their dad's golf room and it hurt their feelings. It was like home wasn't home anymore. And surprisingly, my parents did something even worse. My first semester um, at, in Waco, uh, my parents decided to move to a different state. And so my, my first Christmas, so I'd been at Baylor one semester, and my first Christmas, I leave to go home, and instead of going south on 35, I have to go north on 35, and I actually get lost trying to find my home on the way to Christmas. It was like my parents had a new home, but it just had a spare bedroom in it. And this new place, I couldn't even find it. It was almost like a reverse home alone situation. The whole family moved for Christmas and I didn't know where they were. And I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, home is complicated. Or, or at least we make home complicated. God didn't intend for us to make it home as complicated as we make it, but we do. And, and, and us complicating things goes all the way back to the beginning of time. It goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. From the foundation of the world, God made for us a home, and it was pure. The kind of home that was exactly right, and, and we hadn't yet made a mess of it. It was simple and loving, and this is what God does for us. God creates simple and loving spaces for us to reside in, and always has. From Eden to eternity, he has taken care of us in these ways. In, in the garden, you see God getting his hands dirty in Genesis chapter 2, making all things right for humanity, making all things right for life, and it was perfect. And God called it good. Over and over, we hear him call it good in these first two chapters of Genesis. You know, Jesus says something similar in John 14. It's like we were talking about in the children's sermon. He's comforting his disciples before the crucifixion. He tells them he's going to prepare a place for them in heaven. It's beautiful and perfect. 
That's the way it's worded in John 14, 3, that, that Jesus says to those that believe in him have a room in heaven that's perfect for them. It makes me wonder what it might look like, what will be on the walls, what does the furniture look like? You know, we have these beautiful explanations of, of, of the temple in Second Chronicles of, of what was added and the things that were there. There's not as much for that about our room in heaven. But the view must be spectacular. And I wonder how mine might be different from yours. But God created a home for us from the beginning. And, and Jesus tells his disciples, God's doing it again. God's preparing a place for his children as a heavenly home that will not move at Christmas time. A home with your heavenly father. You know, there's a glaring difference, though, in heaven as Revelation 21 marks it. In, in, in heaven, it says all, all of the, the pain of our old homes passes away. You know, for some of us, our, our homes, our childhood homes are places of regret. Of regret. That's not going to be the place in our heavenly homes. And there are others of us right now who are squandering home away in painful misery. Those kinds of things will not happen in heaven under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In that home, there's no more death, there's no more mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. They are all destroyed by Jesus Christ and kept out of that heavenly home. And that kind of thing is far more important than what's on the walls or what's on the lampstands, what's by the door. But the dilemma we face is that we're not there yet. We're still living in homes built by construction workers between Eden and eternity. And when we're living in homes made by people between Eden and eternity, we treat them like Baylor Landing. So let me move you from my, my freshman year to my sophomore year at Baylor. In my sophomore year there, I was living in an apartment actually with my wife Amy's brother. And about halfway through that time together, they told us at the end of the semester, that apartment complex would be torn down. And so that meant, without saying it, we could do whatever we wanted to that apartment. And so as it was, you did not have to clean. And as it was, it did not matter if you knocked a hole in the wall. And those things happened. And it, and it didn't matter. One of the things that we did was we took Sharpie markers and we wrote all over the kitchen. So anytime someone said something funny in our apartment, we would write it in giant letters and Sharpie marker across the poor wallpaper that was in our kitchen. Those were the kinds of things that happened in Baylor Landing. Because as soon as school was over, a bulldozer would crash through those walls. You know, that's how most everyone treats their home on this earth. We deface and dirty our homes to the point they're unrecognizable. And I'm not talking about how clean your kitchen is right now. I'm talking about every sin you've ever committed inside those four walls. And some of us leave metaphorical holes. Others of us leave actual holes, just like Adam and Eve. We make our choices in heightened emotional delusion, and we have to live with those choices for the rest of our lives. Sin destroys us, and sin destroys our homes like termites turning the studs into sawdust. You know, it's interesting. As, as Adam and Eve are leaving the garden, it's this garden that God himself had created for them. God makes them garments. It says out of skin, something like leather. And God makes them these garments for their journey away from the home God had created for them. You know, sometimes God is, is, 
is painted as, as the bad guy for banishing Adam and Eve out of the garden. But it was their decision, a, a choice made in their own willful disobedience. And even as they did, God clothes them for their time away. You know, as awful as, as their decision-making was, and as awful as our decision-making is, God is always calling his children home. God, God this morning is calling out to his, his children saying, come home. It's, it's like the voice of a shepherd crying out to his sheep saying, you are lost, but I have found you. Come home. Hear the voice of your heavenly father because my arms are open wide and you can come home and be taken up to the place you belong. So you've made a mess of life on this earth. I've made a mess of life on this earth. And the Lord God above is ready to make it you know, one of the most obvious examples of all time is right here in our reverse text for this week. You know, we understand the last few weeks as we've been working through Second Chronicles that we've been studying a dedication. Solomon had, had built the temple, and he, he had prayed over the temple. They had consecrated the temple. They had hosted a, a two-week celebration at the temple. And, and all the while, through all of this, Solomon and Israel, they're in this, this beautiful time of worship together, praising the Lord with this refrain, his loving kindness endures forever, that God is good and God has taken care of us and God has prepared a place for us. And they had come to this moment in Israel where, where it's this, they had been in the promised land and God had raised them up. This is, this is the height of Israel as a nation and as a people where they had, they had seen this great, wonderful time of worship in this temple that had been built and they just kept repeating and singing together his loving kindness endures forever his loving kindness endures forever and what's amazing and what you see foreshadowed here even in these last couple of chapters that we've been reading second chronicles 6 and 7 that the very temple that they are dedicating and celebrating together the the, the temple that they are in would be bulldozed in about 300 years, or rather ransacked by the Babylonian army because the nation of Israel was a mess. Their whole house in disarray because they refused to remember and acknowledge the Lord. In their disobedience, they're carried off into exile, prisoners of the Babylonian empire. And, and you might think that the, the Lord God would, would glare at them in disgust but what we get is, is something here that we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's one a verse we probably have memorized, but, but there's always this way home that, that, that doesn't matter the mess Israel gets into. That there is a way home to their heavenly father. And, and he says this here in 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I will heal, heal their land. He's saying, hey, we're going to make this right. When, when, when they come back and when you, when you humble yourselves in repentance for, before me, all will be made right in the goodness of God's grace. You see, God's plan was for them to come home. If only they would repent and come back. God, God was right there with them. He was with them in exile. He was, he was with them when they were wandering in the wilderness. God was there. And, and we come to this moment after the temple has been destroyed, they've been sent off into exile. Uh, God hears Daniel's prayers. God shows up when Ezra and Nehemiah are, are on the way back. God wanted them home with their heavenly father. And God wants you home with your heavenly father to, to know his loving embrace again. 
And let let me remind you, lest we forget, some of the trouble that Israel has gotten into. Because, Because if you read through books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Lamentations, Israel couldn't get out of their own way. They kept destroying their own houses and they would build up shacks that would fall down. And this was a terrible thing for them. The the sin destroyed their homes from the inside out. They they couldn't get out of their own way. As you read through the Old Testament, it says over and over again, these sins that Israel kept committing, says they forgot their God. They stopped teaching God's story to their children. They started to oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And, And every one of these sins is like swinging a sledgehammer on demolition day. Their sins increased through the generations. They started to idolize fertility cults and becoming practical polytheists. They they worshiped the work of their own hands. They they began to say and believe that the homes they had in the promised land were built by them, that they had conquered and they had built with their own two hands. Scripture says they loved violence. They came to love sexual perversions. They're they're just treating their homes like the, the rock star's hotel room. And throughout the texts, And this may be the worst part. You see, throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, as it describes Israel's sinfulness, it says they refuse to repent. They refuse to be repented people. They wouldn't even come back to God. They they refuse to even say these things were wrong. They were filled with greed. The text tells us even the priests and the prophets were chasing after money instead of chasing after the Lord. See, they were destroying their homes from the inside out. Yeah, I know we know that historically it's the Assyrians and the Babylonians who bring the destruction and leveled their nation, but it was their own decision-making that imploded their homes. And even still, and this is the word of hope for us this morning, even still, God offered them a way back. God said, here is your way back to the promised land. If you will be a repentant people, come back home to the land I have given you. And he's saying, just come home. Turn around from all of the mess that you are in today, and if you will turn around and come back to the ways of God, you will be received into God's loving embrace. There is a way home this morning. You see, it's important for us to recognize together that you are not too far gone. You're not as far gone as Israel was in those days. And God heard their cries and brought them home. And God will bring you home. And not to that old shack you let rot. God will bring you back to, the, to a building. Something that lasts on the foundation of Jesus Christ our Lord. There's this beautiful moment I'm sure most of us know in Luke 15 where Jesus reminds us of this reality with the prodigal son. Prodigal is away from home. He's gone and squandered his life and, and wasted all that he was given. And he's standing in a field feeding pigs. And in, in an instant, he's, he's tired of the slop. He's tired of the mess. He's ready to go back home to his father. As Luke 15, 20, we see as, as he does and he turns and he starts home. It says that the father sees him while he's a long way off. And the father runs to embrace him and welcome him home. And they have a, a celebration for the repentant one that comes home. Scripture tells us that, that when we, re, we fall to our knees in repentance before God, the, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so let, let me remind you of that same thing from the, from the beginning of the text in Genesis through the, the struggles of the nation of Israel, through Christ with the disciples into the book of Revelation. God is saying, you can come home to your heavenly Father. 
if you will turn from your wicked ways, if you will repent and come back to God, he will run and meet you on that way back and embrace you with his love. And so with the Lord, I ask you to come home. It's not too late to have a personal and permanent home with Jesus Christ. So we'd have to gather in him. So let's surrender to our Lord and Savior this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord, we're grateful that we get to be together. Lord, in this place of worship. Lord, we're grateful that you have loved us and you have taken care of us. Lord, we recognize that you are a mighty and loving God. Lord, we recognize that you're not slow as some count slowness. But Lord, you are giving us another chance to come to you in repentance. That we might be saved. That we might know you. That we may be made right. And so Lord, we pray this morning that whatever state our home is in, Lord, you would come and make it right. Lord, would you come and purify our homes and set the foundation as the Lord and Savior rather than whatever we've poured. And so, Lord, we're here. We're yours, and we commit to obey you and follow you wherever you lead us to go. If that starts in repentance, Lord, we're going to be repentant. If that causes us to get up and go, we're going to get up and go. We're going to be your faithful witnesses, your faithful disciples, and be the people that you've called us to be. It's in the name of the Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.